0: listening to The Private Citizen, the podcast that's defending your right to have something to hide. This is episode 81 for Monday, the 9th of August, 2021. Let's talk about Apple. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. My name is Fab. I'm your host. As usual, I'm coming to you live from the city of Düsseldorf in Germany, this time on a Monday. Um, Nice to have you along Um, on a Monday because... Well, normally I release the show on Wednesday, um, but, you know, uh, I'm ha- I have a, my second vaccine shots scheduled for tomorrow, and the first one knocked me out for three days, So, uh, and th- I did the same thing there. I wisely recorded an episode on Monday and put it out on Monday, um, which saved me from dropping an episode that, you know, dropping a recording and uh, missing an episode that week. Um, so I thought, let's do this again. Um, so here we are. We have to talk about Apple. Um, because everybody wants me to talk about Apple, apparently. Um, There's been a big, yeah, I think you can call it a shitstorm, like last week, uh, with some news of new uh, features in iOS that Apple wants to roll out, and uh, everybody, and by everybody, I mean my uh, IT security uh, privacy bubble um, has been completely up in arms. But it has hit the mainstream press, and I think it's a topic... Um, interested uh, that everybody will be interested in, uh, especially if you're listening to the show, uh, you certainly will be. Um, I don't think it will come. If you have been listening to me talking about what I think about the world on a podcast for a while, then this won't come as a surprise to you. But I guess, you know, it's it's new, so we we'll definitely, definitely have to talk about this. And I'm going to roll in some other, not only the thing that caused the shitstorm, but some other news that you know, some other stuff that Apple's done recently. Um, and I'm, I'm gonna try to wrap it all together and, and, um, you know, form a, a big picture. Um, before we get into that, uh, I wanted to just, uh, say something. Um, another thing that people have been, uh, talking to me, uh, or has been, have been asking me quite a lot is if I am going to cover the, uh, Pegasus malware story on the show. And of course I will, uh, Sorry, I need to. I need some Earl gray here um my hay fevers is, uh it's plaguing me um people are kind of like i'm I'm surprised you haven't talked about this uh and uh, I'm like uh, why i mean certainly uh n s o group hasn't paid me to not report on it <laughs> i mean that would be, that would be something that would be a new income. Uh, no, I wouldn't would never do something like this. Of course. Um, no, I've just been, uh, I've been preparing it. Um, it's just, uh, it's not an easy topic. Uh, it's just some research involved and, uh, the, the reporting on it hasn't been as in depth as, as I would like. So there's some digging involved, but, uh, be assured I'm on the story as soon as I'm ready. As I, as I always do this, as soon as I'm ready. um, i'm going to do an episode uh, on this and uh, mode 7 live in twitch chat is obviously uh, as i always do this these days i record the show live on twitch uh, mode 7 says "T or gray hot it is indeed tea or gray hot <laughs> uh, so let's let's get into what apple has done uh, last week <laughs> So basically, uh, Apple has caused a bit of a bit of a stir, a bit of a shitstorm, uh, mostly among like I, IT sec and privacy-oriented people, um, with two features they want to roll out uh, in iOS 15, which is going to hit later this year, um, that have basically have to do with porn. In ca- one case, um, presumably legal nude images. And in the other case, uh, illegal material like child pornography. Now, anybody who's been paying attention and anybody who's been listening to this show um, can't be surprised by this. Um, I've talked before uh, on the EU's uh, regulatory steps to basically try to enable or even enforce, make platform um, providers of internet platforms search their. Platforms for child pornography. I mean, this is something I talked about um, in the upload filter discussion, where we, you know, we're talking about algorithms scanning what you upload to sites because of copyright-related issues. Uh, but this is obviously technology. The same technology can be used for something like this. And I don't think currently they use upload filters. Basically, uh, they do. Uh, you know, they search images on, on file sharing sites and stuff like that, uh, on backup sites, um, for, uh, you know, this kind of material. And, um, e- the EU has, uh, started legalizing this in directive 2020, uh, 0259, which is about, you know, it's basically uh, an exception to the privacy rules that the EU is, the EU is very, 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 very hot on privacy. Um, but of course, to do something like this, they need exceptions. And I've I've discussed this uh, a, an iteration of this uh, in episode 76, where the German government basically uh, wants to um, or announced plans that they want to legislate operating system makers like Apple and Microsoft um, to do this stuff in their operating systems. Um, and so, so what we're seeing here from Apple is basically this, uh, one, one of the features is the, the, um, the one I'm talking about first is basically an implementation of this an implementation of stuff that we've seen before that we know, um, lawmakers want. And, um, so, so the first of the new features that Apple has announced, uh, is, um, a, uh, system by which they will scan all photos uploaded into iCloud, uh, into iCloud, uh, for, uh, known child abuse material. And, um, if they detect such material, they will presumably report this to local and or federal authorities, depending on, you know, where you reside and whatever. Um, this is done by a system that is not new. Uh, there's a database. That the federal government in the U.S. has, and there's probably I know there's a same there's a certain there's a, a similar database in Germany that the BKA, the federal police has. That is basically hashes of um, known child porn, and you know um, young adult, uh, you know uh, p- underage porn, and. Uh, so, they have hashes of all these images, and they uh, are just going to compare. Like, if you upload a picture to iCloud, they're going to generate a hash for that picture, and then they compare that to the blacklist. what um, 7 says, we should call these anti-features. Yeah, from a user perspective, there certainly are anti-features, right? Nobody wants this. Um, well, there, you know, there are some users who might be talked into by the... Let's let's call it what it is: government propaganda. That you know, child porn is bad, and we need to fight this. Um, and they then think this is a good idea. Still, it's an anti-feature because it's not something that does actually does anything for them, right? Uh, presumably, it does nothing on their machine, because you would think that people like that don't have child porn in their iCloud. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that is that is not. Um, That's surprising, and uh, while it was attacked by uh, lots of privacy-conscious people and, you know, um, interest groups and stuff, the thing that actually caused the shitstorm in the IT security um, community is the second feature, which is Apple said that they will um, scan photos that are included in iMessage chats locally on each phone. And, of course, iMessage is end-to-end encrypted, so... um, Basically, they're scanning encrypted messages. Technically, they don't because um, they scan it on the on the device before it's encrypted. Um, which is, you know, we, we talked about this before. This is how do you defeat end to end encryption if you have that access. Um, and so, this they will they will scan these pictures for nudity. And if the phone has parental protection features enabled then the user, who is presumably underage, um, will have all images that include nudity automatically blurred. And they have to click on them and request uh, that they can see them, Um, at which point they will get a message that there's something like, it's okay not to look at this image. Um, This is to me, I mean, I don't have kids. I've said this often, I don't have kids. Um, Because I'm not a parent, I don't particularly understand parenting um i can only remember um how i i dealt with stuff like that in my childhood and if my phone i mean we didn't have phones back then right <laughs> this is old man uh, telling stories from the war you know back in the day we only had uh, 386s but you know if i had I had a phone and my phone would have said you know do you do you, you want to see this nudity and then it said you know it's okay not to see it that is like the dumbest like which what child you can't possibly be that protected growing up that you go yeah all right (laughs) it's okay not to i don't i don't want to see this picture of a naked girl um (laughs) come on right we're presumably talking teenagers here right um Back in the day, I mean, for me, this kind of stuff wasn't that easy. Like back in the day, we would look through like mail order catalogs at the like lingerie pages. And that was like basically our porn, um, I remember. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that that is so, so patronizing and I, I can't believe that would ever work. But okay, that's what they're doing. Now, if the child is under 13, and they click yes, I want to see the nudity. Then the parents will get uh, alerted by the operating system. Um, and Apple's saying that they detect nudity by an algorithm that runs locally on the phone. They don't say much about this, but like I think there's a white paper on the algorithm, um, which I haven't gone I haven't gone that deep into it because te- the technical implementation details aren't really interested, interesting to me, to be honest. Um I think it's a bad idea. I think that's 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 uh, that's a given here. Um but uh yeah, so apparently I use some machine learning algorithms that learn like that can analyze and find nudity. And Apple is promising that there will never be like a false positive in this. Also in the child porn iCloud detection. Sure. Never, they never false positives with algorithms. Uh, we've never seen this in our life, and Apple is flawless. Apple never creates software that has uh problems. I've never seen this before. Uh, yeah, and getting real porn was not easy, says more 7 Yeah, we uh, it was uh, you know, back in the day, uh, it wasn't it, it wasn't it wasn't as easy, it was all much more seedy. Um, I still remember, like when I was when I was actually eighteen, um, I found it incredibly, like I don't know, almost disgusting to go. And you know, you had like the the video rental store, and they had a special section with like these weird curtains. I don't know if it's the same in every country, but in Germany, with these weird curtains, and you had to actually go in there. And like these were like horrible. Like if you if you go if you go today, if you go on Pornhub, and you think th- these. these descriptions or these you know basically the cover of that video is horrible you should have seen like porn in the fucking like 90s i mean these were like just the 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 most like either disgusting or just like cheesy like even the covers and the names uh, beaded curtains no they were like kind of like um like strips they were like the strip Strip of like rubber, I think these rubber strip. They were weird. The whole, the whole thing, the whole thing was weird. Um, I remember uh, when I was like about, I don't know, nineteen or something. Uh, we had, we had friends over, uh, actually, to watch porn, and we rented like the, the we rented some. This, I think it was actually some cartoon porn, like was one of them, and like we rent rented the the the, the most shoddy like looking porn just to laugh about it the other the other thing was some was gay porn and it was it was like it was so bad like we, we just watched it to like um, make fun of the, like, the drink and make fun of the dialogues it, it was it was it was so bad um anyway uh of course these days all these days all on the internet now again i don't have kids i'm not a specialist on this topic but you know i would think i don't know just some common sense here right If your kid is under 18 and you want to protect protect them from this, from nudity, how about not buying them a phone? You know, you don't have to have a phone when you're like 10. I didn't have a phone when I was 10, right? We didn't, it is not like, oh my God, I can't reach my child, uh... How will I know if they are say like just ask some somebody who did their parenting in the eighties right or whatever like you don't fucking i mean i I understand like the social pressure and um but like I mean maybe it was just like my parents i mean I certainly didn't have everything like I was an only child, my parents. I, you know, they weren't exactly rich, but I grew up in in very fortunate circumstances, right? Um, compared to other people I know, um, who had to, where their parents had more children, or they just, or, or they didn't have enough money, or like not as much money as my parents, who were both working, uh, or both, uh, and like. But even I didn't certainly didn't get everything, right? Uh, you know, everybody had a Game Boy. And I didn't get a Game Boy for ages. Um, I didn't get a Nintendo console, like, a, you know, N64 or whatever for ages. Uh, I remember actually had to, like, save money on that. And, then, like, you know, I didn't get everything everybody had. Like, what is it with this social pressure where, like, every kid needs... Like, you're making these problems for yourself, right? How about you only uh, buy your kid a phone... When you are ready to sit down with them and explain to them the things that they will see on this phone, how about that? Just a, just an idea, instead of just trojaning everybody's fucking, um, fucking phones. Because I mean, this is what everybody is upset about. iMessage is a end-to-end encryption service. And of course, it's no, not, nothing new to anybody who's been into IT security and privacy that, hey, you can do this, right? You can, you can uh, basically, uh, people call it backdoor, but it's not really a backdoor. You can circumvent end-to-end encryption if you have access to the content before it is encrypted. And if you are the maker of the app, or the operating system maker, then you have that access. And that's not a secret, right? That's nothing new. Now the point is where people, I think people have a point. I mean, um, uh, so end-to-end encryption protects you. So I send something from my phone, let's say to your phone. It protects everything in between that, right? Even the company servers, whatever. But there's always an assumption, I always said this on this podcast, on other podcasts, on the episode I did on how to uh circumvent uh end-to-end encryption, which uh God what episode was that? I'm gonna have to look I'm gonna have to look this up. Give me a second here. Go to private There's a handy episode listed in the top. There's also a contact if you, a button if you don't agree with anything I say you can click on that. Uh a link rather. Uh, But if you go to the episode list, what are we looking at? Uh, And to... Oh, okay. Sorry. My Windows is obviously telling me that that wasn't found. But I found the episode anyway. Episode 32, how to hack end-to-end encryption. We basically explain how the police did it. But, you know, um, the assumption with end-to-end encryption is that you trust... The operating system, and you trust the app creator. Um, so, and that has always been the case. And so, the good point is, yes, Apple um, is kind of violating users' trusts. Users' trust, right? Because if you use iMessage, if you use the end-to-end encryption, then you have to trust Apple. That's like what I was saying. You know, WhatsApp is is end-to-end encrypted and It's state-of-the-art end-to-end encryption, but you obviously have to trust Facebook, right? And this is Apple basically saying, for a good cause, we will ignore this. Like, I mean, for the operating system maker, because they have access to this data, there's an assumption, right? If you make an operating system and you make an end-to-end encrypted app, then even though you could get access to that content, there's an assumption that anything the user puts on in that app, the user wants to be encrypted and wants nobody to see, including the operating system maker. And Apple is just ignoring that assumption, and that is the problem. And so they're breaking people's trust. And as Edward Snowden points out, by the way, if you go to private Citizens. the press, there's links to all of this. Um, I'm quoting stuff and articles and stuff. It's all in the show notes. Um, uh, in this case, for episode 81. So, privatecitizenpress slash episode slash 81. You find everything. Um, so, as Edward Snowden points out, Apple is essentially establishing uh, a surveillance infrastructure here that might, in the future, be used by, you know, intelligence services, repressive governments, whatever, to look for incriminating materials. Because, I mean, we've certainly seen this in the past with uh, IT technology, IT technology, information technology technology, with IT or generally with technology, but especially with computers and digital stuff, Um, they introduce a feature like this, and it's always child porn first. Uh, Or, you know, in this case, nudity and kids, whatever. Will somebody think of the children, right? And then you have the infrastructure in place, and then somebody comes along and says, hey, um, you know, why don't we also look for, like, drug smugglers or whatever? Um, And... There are certainly ways uh, governments can compel and intelligence services can compel a company like Apple to do something like this. And this, if that company wants to have a legitimate defense against that, the only way is to say we can't. Like, we can't implement such a feature. We can't break this end-to-end encryption, We can't go around it. Um, and now they're basically told the world, we can and we will. And... And that is a problem. And that is also, you know, a dangerous precedent as, you know, some people like, uh, Matthew Green, uh, from John's, is he John Hopkins? I think uh, he's a famous, relatively famous cryptographer. Um, where's he, where's he, where he at? Yeah. Does he, he said Johns Hopkins. Anyway, um, as Matthew Green points out, um, this is a precedent, right? Um, uh, he says uh, reg- regardless, of, regardless of what apple's long-term plans are they've sent a very clear signal in their very influential opinion this is safe to build systems that scan users phones for prohibited content that that's the message they're sending to governments competing services china you. and and then he of course asks where where will it end right they start with child porn like what's 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 it doing next right um And, right, because in this case, in iMessage case, of course, they're looking at content shared with others. But, you know, they're doing the same thing basically on iMessage, which is like your private backups. Um, And they basically what they're doing is they are implementing an official version of the best way we know to hack end-to-end encryption. And they're making it less useful, or actually, you know, some people who are privacy purists would say they're making it uh, useless, right? Um, because they are basically now saying, hey, we have end-to-end encryption, but we also have this way around it. And it's different if like some, some police operation hacks um, an encrypted phone system, whatever, or if like the creator of the system says, look... We we have we have a way around it. We have basically a backdoor. Um, uh, Mode 7 says, I hate to sound like a broken record because I know I say this a lot. Uh, so in Twitch chat, But this is a good reason not to trust non-free software. Now I've I've actually not gone going into that, gone into this aspect of it um, at all because I don't think this is an issue about proprietary or non-free software, because let's take Signal, which is open source, uh, has the same problem, um, because it runs on an oper- operating system controlled by Apple. And now you could say, okay, what we need is an open source operating system, right? I mean, this is like what the purists always say, we need, op- op- we need everything open, free <laughs> software, you know, Stallman, we need free software, BIOS, we need everything free software. Um, that is, m- is kind of missing the point though, right? It's This is not about code. This is not about the freedoms the user has with the code. This is about what makers of software um, think is... Um, is okay, right? And you could, you could let, let's say, <laughs> let's take a very unrealistic uh, scenario here. Let's say Ubuntu phone would have taken off and had millions of users and it's like an open source phone platform, right? Um, if Mark Shuttleworth is for some reason convinced that doing this kind of thing is good, uh, they will implement it. You're in the same problem, you know, in the same situation. Okay, now the argument is, yes, you could fork... But like, you know, a phone operating system, it's an ecosystem. It's not about the software. The reason not, well, not completely about the software or just the end user software, right? The reason we don't have completely open source phone stacks is because, you know, you need to integrate with the hardware and whatever. So even if one vendor, which is an unrealistic... Scenario because it has never happened for this very reason. Even if Ubuntu phone would have taken off, they would be the only one, right? That'd be that'd be the ones getting the their drivers, and they get hardware. They get their specific hardware made in China, and somehow got the maker of the hardware to to interoperate with them, right? Um, it it wouldn't be a given that you have a Debian phone that you could then you know you don't like Ubuntu. They're doing weird things, scanning your Uh, image library for stuff let's go debian phone that's unrealistic that's not how it works i mean we don't even have ubuntu phone in the first place the only the only place and i grant you it's a big example and it's it's right in this case where this ever worked was the pc the ibm pc because it was open from the start and you just can put an operating system on there and you know the hardware is interoperable and you're ready to go but there, there there hasn't been a system in computing like that that has been popular that has gotten the main market share so so i personally think this argument um goes it's not completely wrong it is technically correct it just goes ignores realities that are out there that can't be changed um and yes, I, I, you're pointing out, purism, whatever, it's getting somewhere. But like, it's getting, to be honest, it's getting nowhere, right? 99% of people use phone operating systems. I don't, you know, I will not say proprietary because a lot of it is Android and it's, you know, technically open source, but you know, they're in this vendor lock-in situation. All right? Not even a vendor. It's it's hard to explain, right? It's not. Um okay, this is Apple, right? But if if Google was doing this, um they're controlling an even bigger bigger share of the, the phone market. Um it's not like you can like a normal user can easily go, I don't like this, I'm gonna put an Android ROM on my phone. Right? Um, they would tie this in. Google, if Google did this, they would, like, they do everything right now. They would tie it into the, the, the Google Play services, and they would go, if you want to use the Google Play services, uh, you have to opt into this, uh, us checking your images. And as, as you know, probably from people who've, you know, if you they, see if seen with the whole uh, Huawei thing, if you can't use... Google Play services, you're fucking dead in the market. Um, it's, it, you know, it's... It's... I would... It's not specifically vendor login, and it's technically open source, but I don't know. I don't have a specific term for it, but I think you understand what I mean. Um, it is hard to explain and discuss, and that is also one reason it's hard to avoid. Yeah, it's like... Um, it's 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 a gray area, right? It doesn't it's it's not clear cut. It's not like hey, we got open source, we're happy, right? Because like Android, it, as as you know, people like you know, I used to do podcasts um, uh, and talk to people like Brad, Bradley Kuhn uh, from the um, Software Freedom Conservancy. Like like they will point out that Android isn't completely open source, right? It's not completely. Open source down to the hardware, and this is what causes all these problems but um like i I actually think open source is not the solution to this because um this is a this is a problem of politicians i think I don't think this is about apple i'm, I'm gonna get to that later. I'm kind of derailing this a bit, but I think Mode seven is i th- I like this feedback right I like this live feedback, I think this is a valid point. And I think you're not the only one um, when people listen to this on the podcast, there will be people who have the same questions and the same arguments. So I, I think it's worth discussing. Um, but um, I think it isn't about, this isn't about Apple. Um, this is Apple doing something they think is good, right? That policy makers lawmakers want that people are convinced um, is a good thing to do and that is the actual problem um, because in a in a in the, the the real world isn't perfect right so we will never have completely an open source stack somewhere we we'll will always be at the mercy of somebody right it doesn't have to be um, a company right open source Oh like in this case, we're at the mercy of Apple and we have to trust Apple. But you know, in if I use Signal, I have to trust some key developers there. And what am I gonna do if they, they say, like if moxie Marlinspike goes, yeah, checking for child porn is a good idea, we we should like implement the same thing. Like what am I gonna do? Right. You say you use a different messenger app. Yeah, right. Because I can just switch messenger. It's hard enough to get people to use signal from like WhatsApp, you know, um, it's, there's always this kind of like, it's kind of like soft lock-in, right? Messengers have this a lot. Um, and you're always at the mercy of somebody. Um, it's like, uh. It's like Mastodon, right? Mastodon was, uh, the fatty worse. I'm going to do an episode on this. It's been on the to-do list for ages. But like, you know, it's been touted as, yeah, it's like decentral, it's great. It's like, there's no censorship, right? And, and, and then there was a point where the Mastodon developer said, hey, uh, I don't know, what, what was that gap? I, some social network, I think Alex Jones was involved. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying anybody should like interoperate with that platform, right? But they were kind of like a mastodon fork and they were interoperable with the Fediverse. And then the, the mastodon people were like, no, no, we are progressive. Like, I don't know. We don't like the political direction this network is taking. So we're cutting them off. Like we're killing interoperability there. And you will always have that. Yes. You can use, then oh it's open source you can use another Fettyverse client yeah but like fucking I've set up this server right I've done all this work I've I've and now I'm just going to switch to another client like you always have these problems like there's there's stickiness involved there um, and I think because of that um, attacking it with with such means that saying okay we need open source we need di- 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 distributed things. Yes, you're solving you're solving certain problems by going open source. You're solving certain problems by having distributed services, but they don't they're not a silver bullet, right? And the problem in this case, which I'm going to try to explain now, um isn't Apple. Um just let me finish with this whole um uh first point about um about the way they um Uh, they're circumventing like end-to-end encryption and also like the hashing algorithm they use um, for for the iCloud thing, right? Um, It's like Apple's promising that it's going to have no false positives, whatever. Because false positives would be really horrible, right? You have like an innocent photo that is just like a photo of, I don't know, a cat in, in your iCloud, you upload to your iCloud and the Apple algorithm goes, that's child porn. And you get like reported to the fucking FBI. And the next thing you know is like, Mr. Scherschel, Mr. Scherschel, open the door, open the door. This is special agent fucking John McMulder or whatever. Um, right? They, you don't want that. Um, but like, that algorithm is going to be reverse engineered and it's going to be manipulated. I mean, you can make, you can. You can do like these, what they're called, God, um, God, I'm going to click on this link and figure, uh, adversarial attacks, right? You can do these adversarial attacks. A famous example is like, you put a, a, a sticker that doesn't look like anything. It's just like a weird square. It's like weird squares, weird colors. You put that on stop sign, right? And that makes a Tesla not recognize the stop sign and blow through the stop sign and potentially kill the driver or whatever. Um, like, you can do that. There's been lots of attacks that have been documented like this. So, you can do this. These are attacks you can do against, like, you know, machine learning, um, uh, reinforced, like, uh, heuristic virus scanners, for example, right? You can you can make them generate false positives, um, make them not recognize actual viruses, make them DDoS them, whatever. Um, so we know that they will be able... Somebody will come up with something to do this, right? To do this through this algorithm. And, you know, next thing you know, this is some innocent photo that you can you can take a photo that you can manipulate, um, which, you know, just looks like it's like a meme or whatever. It looks totally innocent. It's a photo of a cute cat. But, like, if the Apple algorithm goes hashes it, it's going to come up with, like, a child porn hash, right? So you can... You can send that photo to somebody, and they're like, "Oh, this is cute. I'm going to save this to my iCloud." Bam! Next thing you know, you get a phone call from FBI. I don't know. Do, does the FBI actually call you, or do they always turn up in person? I have this image that they never call you; They you just turn up, like you know, this crowned vic Royal rolls up and like two guys in in uh, in in very uh, federal-looking suits like come up, draping up your front lawn. I guess in Germany it would be the BKR immediately and they'll cuff you and uh, yeah. Or, you know, Apple's saying they have, a, <laughs> they have a manual review process. So probably it's not going to go to the FBI, but probably your um, family pictures I will end up getting reviewed by some minimum va- wage intern in Croatia. Um, which is what ever calls a manual review process because that's where they outsource that kind of stuff, which, you know, isn't, isn't as dramatic, but it's also something you don't want. You you, you know, this is a private backup presumably you want these images to be private. People don't want that. Um, also, uh, I mean, do we actually have to mention, I think we have to, but like, let's, let's keep this short. I mean, it it should be understood to anybody who listens to the show. Um, that this system is, is going completely uh, attacking the wrong target, right? This is not going to impact anybody who makes like, their living producing child proto- pornography, right? They have that fucking database already, right? You don't think that they pay off people in companies that do this kind of stuff or get like, you know, or even in the government, uh, in the police, you, you, you don't think they have somebody on the payroll who wa- wants them off them, of this stuff and gives them the fucking, uh, you know, list? I mean, come on. I'm just uh, currently watching uh, Miami Vice because I discovered it's on uh, on Amazon Prime. And I haven't seen this in ages, but, like, you know, watch something like this. That's a crime drama show, right? But it's, like, th- something like this is based on... On reality, right? There's like fucking people on the payroll everywhere, right? You have a cop who makes like, I don't know, a few hundred dollars a week. And then in that case, they're dr- drug smugglers and they go like, okay, do you want to earn $10,000? <laughs> right? Uh, you know, this child porn people presumably uh, have a lot of money as well because producing that stuff is risky. So I'm presuming they're making a lot of money with it. Um, so uh yeah you don't think you don't think they they have that database and can get around that or at least you know know what's on the list um right and obviously it's it should be obvious that this is targeting the wrong people like you're targeting a platform that is used by everyday people to back up their f- family photos right this is not you're not targeting the means uh that people who produce or sell, uh, produce, sell or consume child porn, used to share such content. We know that, right? It's obvious anybody who's ever looked into like this kind of crime um, and talked to people who investigate this kind of stuff, they have their own internet forums, right? They use their own sharing. They don't use fucking iMessage. <laughs> it's just Or like, oh, let me put this in my iCloud and then I'm going to send you the link. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> it is, they're not that dumb. Like, okay, some of them probably are dumb. But like, you know, in general, you're going after the wrong, wrong people here. Um, and I think there's a picture forming. If you connect this to other stuff Apple has done... Um, you will see a pattern for me here pretty soon. Um, for example, there's a feature that you might've noticed uh, was released in iOS 14.5. So if you use an iOS device, uh, if you use an app for the first time, there's us no, this message that pops up where the app asks you um, for your consent to share uh, or to basically track you across uh, other apps on the device or websites in the browser or whatever and everybody clicks no i don't want that because yeah like why would you want that um, now apple says this is a great innovation right to me i saw that and i was like why didn't this why didn't apple implement this the moment the gdpr came into effect because this seems to me like I mean, that's what every fucking website does, right? Because it's mandated in the GDPR and in this California privacy law and whatever. Uh, so they're just like doing what they're legally required to do. Is what I That's what I think. Um, now, Apple PR claims as a huge success uh, from Apple Insider, <laughs> which is basically uh, an unpaid mouthpiece for Apple PR, as so far as I can understand. Um, they are saying during the company's during the company's Q3 2021 earnings call Cook, so uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook, Cook was asked how the change to identify for advertisers tracking tag handling was developing and how it was influencing the trajectory of advertising within Mm -hmm. Apple services so you can tell, you know, it's it's an endless call, right, this is a softball question this was just asked so that Tim Cook can fire off a prepared statement. So Cook says, uh, we've been getting quite a bit of customer reaction, positive reaction, to being able to make the decision on whether to be tracked or not. Uh, Cook said, adding that the feature seems to be going very well from a user point of view. Now, you might think, okay, this is great. And most of the reporting was, hey, Apple app tracking thing, total success, Right. Uh, but then you go to, uh, Ars Technica and you figure out that, uh, this is a story about Facebook and how Facebook, which makes its money of tracking you across websites and apps, uh, is fine. So this is from another earnings call. Uh, <clears throat> Facebook's original public predictions about app tracking transparency, about app tracking transparency's effect were apocalyptic. But even though app tracking transparency took effect during Facebook's most recent quarter, Q2 of 2021, the company still posted huge ad revenue growth. Facebook's revenue, which is largely driven by the kinds of advertising that Apple's iOS change undermines, grew 56% year-over-year year in Q2, beating investor expect- expectations. Well, it's also probably because last year was horrible uh, because of the scaredemic, but yeah. Uh, The company had 1.9 billion daily active users and 2.9 billion monthly active users. It earned $10.12 of revenue per user on average. Uh, Data on user opt-in rates for tracking has varied quite a bit. Some firms put the figure at just 4%, but others placed opt-in rates as high as around 30%. The rate likely depends on the app in question. In any case, users who opt in are definitely not in not the majority. Most users are declining to be tracked when prompted, and each user who does is worth a lot less money to Facebook, which makes much of its money leveraging users' uh, data to charge advertisers money to micro-target users and others with similar attributes. But you know, they're still making huge revenue, so it doesn't doesn't seem to have affected them that badly. Um, now, here's what I think. What? Let's ask this question. What if Apple didn't implement this because they have your privacy uh, at heart? Uh, what, maybe they did this. Like, okay, my, one reason, of course, is I think because of the privacy laws in the EU. Uh, but what if there's also a mo- motivation for Apple, which is you know notoriously bad at uh, you know getting traction for its online services? and uh, has never managed to become a big player in the ad business, um, what if they want to gain an advantage over their competitors? Um, So this is from the same Ars Technica story, uh, which actually, at the end of this paragraph, says this very thing. Today, Zuckerberg is dedica- so, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Today, Zuckerberg. is dedicating much of his time to describing his vision for the metaverse, which he has identified as the new direction for the company. He has described his vision as putting a mixed reality layer on our lives, through which people can interact and socialize with one another virtually in new ways by crossing geographic barriers. But Apple executives have also outlined... A somewhat similar long-term vision, albeit with a very different approach. And here comes the kicker: by forcing Facebook to play different ad, to ba- play by different ad targeting rules, Apple has strengthened, its position, has strengthened its position against the social media company in any coming battle over future mixed reality computer landscape. What if a big reason for Apple to implement this kind of app, you know, thing wasn't only okay? complying with EU rules but like it's it's a competitive advantage for them because they're not as good at tracking people and giving them advertising that is not their core business because they're shit at it um, so they can hurt Facebook and to some degree Microsoft who's getting into this stuff more um, and and other companies like that um by you know restricting this kind of stuff so could it be that they're doing that because of that? You know, that they're just using, oh, we are a privacy-centric company as a cover to basically change the playing field and tilt it in their favor. That's what I think. But there's also another change that they, uh, that they recently announced um, that I think makes this even clearer. <laughs> Um so this other change was announced uh, a few months ago and it, it didn't actually get that much traction. Um it was certainly covered in like um advertising marketing circles because they were they're worried about this. But um I think well they should be worried about it because it fucks with their business, but like I think from a privacy standpoint it's hilarious. So Apple says it's a privacy feature, keep that in mind. Um and it sounds good on the face of it, right? They, they are fighting tracking pixels in emails. Um, now, I know I'm going to do a... I, I promised this I'm going to do an email privacy episode in the future. But <clears throat> in case you're not aware of this, and I'm if you listen to the podcast, you probably are. But, you know, might get new listeners. Um, so I want to explain this really quickly. So most emails that are sent, especially emails from companies, almost all of them are HTML emails. And if you have your uh, email client set up to read the HTML emails, which pretty much everybody has, um, and not to block images from external sources, which few people do, um, because, you know, then you, that those HTML emails are, in many cases, not usable, um, then you um, are being tracked by a very simple way. Um, there's a way the how the the sender of the email will basically put a one uh, pixel big image, uh, transparent image, uh, in into the email. You don't see that image, right? But the moment you open the email, all the images in the email are loaded, including this tracking pixel. And it's a tracking pixel because your email client will go to the server of, of the person under the control of the person who sent email or of a tracking company, you know, they might pay somebody to do this. Um, And will go there and fetch that image. And, uh, you know, uh, HTTP connections work in such a way that, you know, your client goes, hey, I'm fab, my IP address is, I don't know, 10.2.6.81. I want this image, and so the, uh, the the server knows that you opened the email and they know your IP address and they can presumably use that to track you, especially if they do this with lots of emails. You know, they, they know what kind of emails you get um, and they can then target you for advertising. <clears throat> now, Apple's fighting that, which, you know, on the face of it, is a good thing. Um, so um, as, uh, who is this, Forbes, As Forbes describes this, um, uh, or Forbes describes this, as follows: As follows, I can't talk. I need more Earl Grey. I'm running out of Earl Grey. Stat. I need more Earl Grey. Somebody run to the replicator for me. Um, At its WWDC this month, the Apple Developer Conference, Apple announced a new feature aimed at stopping email senders from gathering critical pieces of data about email recipients. Specifically, the Apple Mail Privacy Protection, set to roll out this fall with iOS 15, okay, so this isn't live yet, I um, should have said that before, um, allows users to block email senders like publishers, retailers, and more, from detecting when they open an email, among other things. The change has many email senders and ad servers in panic. For year and that service, as in uh, people, not the, not the servers, not the actual... Servers <laughs> for years email open rates have been the de facto standard for measuring campaign success and user engagement and for monetizing. This is this is this is Forbes. Wait, I need my Forbes voice. <coughs> for years email open rates have been the de facto standard for measuring campaign success and user engagements and for monetizing emails through advertising. Not only are open rates a primary KPI, they don't explain KPIs. KPIs is a, a, a key what's that again. A fucking marketing term, uh, 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 management term, key performance indicators. <clears throat> uh, not only open rates a primary KPI, but most email advertising vendors operate on a CPM or cost per impression model. Can I explain that. That's nice. Uh, which means brands pay publishers to get paid. Pay- get paid based on how many recipients see the ad if you can't track opens you can't track ad views which means cpm based performance metrics will be null null and void uh, interestingly apple is actually um making it so that all the email so it looks like every email uh gets open and this is how they're doing it so uh it, yeah i mean it sounds great that they're doing that they're fighting this but uh uh, I had to go the last not or forbes doesn 't explain this of course a tech republic uh, this is the best description I found of how they're doing this <clears throat> mail privacy protection download oh, I need more. oh gray Jesus um mail privacy protection downloads remote content in the background by default all remote content downloaded by mail that 's the apple. Or email client is routed through multiple proxy servers, preventing the sender from learning your IP address. As a result, email senders will only receive generic information rather than information about your behavior. So, right, if I understand this correctly, and you have to go by what I think is happening here because the, nobody has written about this as far as I can tell. Couldn't find any, I mean, I read that, I'm, I'm like, wait, that's a huge privacy problem. So as far as I understand, Apple is opening every single email that you receive before you even see that email before you open it yourself, uh, and they will download all the images in that email uh, to one of their servers and then send it to you. So that means that to the advertiser, it looks like the email is, all the emails have been opened, right? And they will not get your IP address because it comes from some random Apple server that downloads this image like all sixty million times a minute, right? Or they'll be like, "Okay, this is this is the generic Apple server. We can't track this." Um, am I question here? Because nobody seems to have asked this question. Am I the only one who sees the huge privacy problem with this? Because if this is correct, if this is how Apple does it, then that means they're reading all of your email automatically. Well, automatically, but they're reading all of your email, right? All of those images, they all go through Apple servers, right? So, so if they hold an email for me on a server, they don't let they get the image, which means they can scan that image on the fucking server with some algorithm for God knows what. You know, remember what we talked about before. Right? And we're talking a local email client. This is the email client on my phone. This is not Apple webmail. Right? So why is it that Google is under constant fire from privacy people for, for like reading all your email or analyzing when I say reading, I mean like algorithms analyzing all the checks in your email and then uh, you know serving advertising based on that to you or learning something about you and then using that later um but somehow nobody complains and everybody thinks this is a great privacy thing when they when this hits their radar uh, about when they're doing the same thing for a fucking local email client right uh. Maybe they outsourced the reading of all these emails to Google, who likely already had a copy since most people sent two from Gmail. <laughs> yeah, well, this, this, this time Apple also has a copy. Uh, everybody has the fucking copy of, like, what the fuck? At least you can turn this off. Uh, at least for now, you can turn this off. Uh, it's not very clearly labeled. It's like, oh, email pro- protection. Do you want to turn the email protection off? Yes, please. I want to tell you, turn your fucking protection, in air quote, off. Because it's horrible. Like, what the fuck? I mean, okay, I understand. It's unencrypted email. There's not that much of a, uh expectation of privacy. But f- people fucking bitch about Google doing this. And then it's, okay, if Apple does this, what the, what the? Fuck No we have three good good backups. Apple, Google and the NSA. So, yeah. uh, Microsoft probably has a copy as well. That's um, the modern day off-site backup strategy. <laughs> um, I'd like to have my backups encrypted actually. Um, so um, to me, this seems like Apple's not doing this because they have user privacy at heart. Right? They're doing this to get themselves more data about that user. right? And again, as a side effect, they're hurting their competitors because they're not the one making all the money in the advertising industry. That's Google and Facebook. right? So they can fucking stick it to them while they themselves get the information. Like, it would have been, wouldn't, like, am I dumb? Like, maybe I'm dumb. Maybe I'm an idiot. Please, privatesiton.press, contact up there. Click on it. It's many ways to send me information. You can do it uh, completely anonymously if you want. But, like, am I – tell me. Am I an idiot? Wouldn't it have been – like, if, if you'd been privacy conscious, right? Wouldn't it have been much easier to if – I'm, if I'm running this mail client on my phone and I want to do the thing Apple does, Right? Wouldn't it have been easier to just, uh, I don't know, uh, proxy, I don't know, can you do that? Can Am I an idiot? Can you proxy this on the phone? I guess, I guess, I guess you would have the, like, my, my I mean, no, you can't, like, if you do it on the phone, if you like, I mean, you could do, you could do the opening pedafold, right? You could do all, all the emails pedafold on the phone, but then all the advertisers would have your IP address. But couldn't you just fucking detect the tracking pixel, right? Couldn't you go like, okay, uh, you're opening an email, all the images that are just completely transparent, <laughs> right? Uh, we're not going to fetch these from the server. Or, another thing to do that would be like to have right. You you could presume. I mean, okay. I'm presuming that is what they are doing. Technically, they just fetch an image once, uh, hash it, put it on the server, and then if your phone wants it, opens it on the Apple server. I don't know. Just don't fucking. Maybe don't fucking do this. Um, I don't. I don't see this like the trade-off is okay I'm not being tracked by uh, you know some advertising companies that sent me emails so they so they now don't know that I opened their email but now Apple reads all my emails <laughs> I mean <laughs> I mean you could also just not open the fucking spam mail <laughs> or you could do HTML emails off by default which is what I do you know I have a mail client that just reads plain text. And then if an email looks fishy, like looks weird, I can't read it because it's like a fucking HTML email. Then I can opt in and go, right, okay, now I want to see that in HTML. It's not rocket science. And it's it works because, because by that first email, and you know, I, I see that I see where it's coming from. I can, most of the time I can tell if I actually am interested in that and want to maybe opt into, like, downloading a tracking pixel. (sighs) Anyway, um, to me, this just seems like Apple is just looking like they want to be privacy conscious, but in fact, they're actually following their own needs, right? Which is, uh, is not a surprise to me, which brings me to the last... Uh, part of the show, into the, into the, basically my conclusion at the end that I want to wrap everything up with. So to me, this is all not very surprising that Apple's doing this. Um, I've I've said something for at least ten years now. And I've gotten a lot of flack from it, from Apple fanboys, but I've said this a lot for a long time. Apple is just a company like any other company, right? Companies don't have ethics. They don't have morals. They don't care about you. Companies don't have your best interest at heart. They might say that in PR, you know, press releases, but no, what they do is they do what their leadership thinks is bad for the company and that's it. And Apple is a company like every other right? All the stuff about like being privacy folks, whatever, that's just it's propaganda. It's PR. Um, it's designed to make Apple look good. I personally think that the truth is that Apple tried to do online services. They were never good at it. Um, they can't get people to use them. They can't even approach to compete with companies like Google and Facebook when it comes to advertising, you know, and making money on that. So they, they didn't, they didn't try, right? They did what is sensible for a company who's figured that out and said, okay, that is not our forte. Our forte is making hardware. And then they spun a nice little PR campaign around that and said, well, we make hardware. We don't sell your data. But I've always said the moment, right, they can say that. And it might be true right now. But the moment somebody in that company thinks now's the time to collect user data and to get rich of it, they will pivot to that instantly. Like their fucking PR campaign is worth nothing. And on the other hand, if if, if somebody, uh, let's say the Chinese Communist Party, um, was to pressure them to compromise on this kind of privacy stuff, then they will do that. Like if the Chinese Communist Party says, okay, uh, we know you have this privacy thing going in the US, but really in China... Uh, you need to play by all rules. Otherwise, you'll lose the complete Chinese market. Then Apple will do that. And I mean, they've done so in the past. Um, as you know, for example, uh, Signal is not available in the uh, App Store in China anymore because presumably the Chinese government said, no, nah, Apple, we don't want that. So this is not something I'm making up, right? This is something that actually happens and um to me personally um <laughs> terrestrious gyms already on the uh intro chat here on the oval uh oval mode uh in enabled maybe the next thing they will try to sell us is automated facial recognition of all pictures, of course, only to make sure that no terrorist or child molesters are lurking in the background um everything for our safety i think iOS already does that, don't they. <laughs> Um, I think that it does it locally on the device, but like you know, I mean, they already sold us everybody, like they already sold everybody universal facial recognition, right? I always thought, okay, with all of this, I still buy Apple devices, right? Because I know that Apple's just another company, and I've had the I've had iPhones, I had a lot of Android phones at you know for a period, but I had the first iPhone. And my current iPhone, I think uh, iPhone seven. I think one of the greatest inventions Apple did with the iPhone, after inventing the actual iPhone, was this home button, where it's not an actual button, but it feels like a button, and it's it's a fingerprint reader, and you just click on it, and it opens the phone. I think that is genius. It works like it works almost all the time right, okay, you know, you, you have wet hands you, or you went, like, rock climbing or whatever and, or you played with super glue and your, you know, your fingerprints are kind of messed up, um, then it doesn't work. But, it, you know, you have a lot of other fingers and usually it works. It's the greatest invention ever. I've never understood from a user experience standpoint where they went to, oh, just look at the phone and it unlocks. First of all, doesn't work all the time, right? Uh, had a lot of problems in the beginning with people wearing glasses. Eh? Uh, so I, I, I never had an iPhone with us. So I think it's a bad idea. Um, but like, uh, you know, then, then face masks didn't, oh, we had, it didn't wear fa- face masks. Then geniusly they fixed it. I mean, fuck, you don't need facial recognition for this kind of shit. Yes. It's only on the device, blah, blah, blah. But basically they're selling universal facial recognition. they have done that for ages. I think that's just a bad bad idea. It's just dumb. It's just one thing where I suspected they were doing that for another motive from the beginning. Call me conspiracy theorist. Lots of people do. Um, okay. So, but there's a, (coughs) there's a thing which I've personally uh, never really understood because, um, for about a decade, there have been a lot of instances, a lot. You know, I'm a technology journalist. I write about stuff. I talk to people about this stuff on the radio, on TV, uh, privately. There have been more people than I can remember um, who I had a discussion with uh, because they said things like, oh, I always buy Apple products because, you know, they said something like, Apple makes money on hardware, not my data. Or, uh, you know, with Apple, their hardware the product, not me and my data, stuff like that. Um this has included security researchers, privacy advocates, and a surprisingly large number of journalists. Now, for years, whenever people said something like this, I said uh, to them, I think, not not this crassly usually, but usually I, I made this relatively here. I said, that is that is incredibly naive, right? This analysis you just gave me, if you even, can't even call that an analysis, is based on completely on propaganda. It's co- co- based solely on what a company said in their press releases. Um, you know, I, tell, I have told these people for years, Apple's a company like any other company, um, if the circumstances change and you have no control of these circumstances, uh, they will reverse this decision, which is just a PR slogan in the blink of an eye, and you will probably not even know, uh, know that. And you, there's nothing you can do about that. And it's it's amazed me, really, how, like, lots of these people I talked to about this, uh, you know, I had these discussions with, are very smart people. And they're incredibly, they're in many cases smarter than me. They're more technically literate than me. And I have never understood how you can be that intelligent and that knowledgeable about technology. But so, like, for lack, let me just say it bluntly, so dumb when it just comes to life, right? For me, that is just a... Um, the fact that all the comp- all companies are the same and Apple's just a company is just basically universal truth. Like that you don't trust what a company says in a PR statement is for me, it's just common sense. But there have been so many people who like I said this to, and they're just like either like outright made fun of me, or probably made fun of me behind my back, or just completely ignored me. And I've I've said this, I'm on the record a, a lot about saying this, right? I've I've said this on uh, at least three podcasts I've been involved with, Linux Outlaws, Geek News Radios, CT Uplink. Uh, I said this to a lot of people. I've been writing about this in opinion pieces for years. And uh, people generally uh, have belittled me about this or ignored me. And uh, therefore, I'm now really happy <laughs> that it seems that that last week, everybody suddenly woke up to this. Um and beyond uh, thinking I've been proving proven right, I just want everybody I don't care about you know that much about being right. It's nice to be right once in a while when it's basically your job to be right <laughs> um, but um, or to try to be uh, but I think everybody should just take away from this um, you know just learn from this. Don't forget this, learn from this learn. Remember that companies are all the same, right? That companies don't have ethics, they don't have morals, and they don't care about you. Uh, they do what they believe is best for them, the company, right? Do not believe their PR, i.e., propaganda. Or you know, as as I as I try to try to establish with this podcast, think for yourself, you know, once in a while, and then you will this isn't like what I, what I find amazing is that, that I'm, I'm, I'm just belaboring this point that I've said this for years because it's always amazed me it's not fucking rocket science I can't be the only one who's ever had that idea who went like why should I trust Apple just because they say they're different but that is not an opinion that has been pre- expressed like even in the tech press like the amount of people I've, like, I've literally, I've been in roundtable discussions with uh, IT security journalists and um, IT, like, IT sec experts, and they, somebody said, you know, Apple, uh, use Apple devices because Apple sells the hardware and privacy and blah, 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 and, and literally, I'm the only one who goes, what, like, and you just believe them, Right. Microsoft says something you don't believe. Why do you believe Apple? Like, well, where's this coming from? <laughs> I don't like. I've I've never understood why 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 there, why there wasn't more pushback on this kind of thing. Um, I hope there will be now. I hope people have, if anything, they've understood now that this is, you know, this is also why this is not such a big deal for me because even why I use Apple devices. And while I'm opposed to what they're doing, um, it's, not surpri- it's, like, it's not surprising to me. I use Microsoft products. I'm opposed to stuff they're doing. Um, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that, you know, companies like Microsoft and Facebook uh, are not my friends when it comes to privacy. I use their products, but I have to think about using them and I have to think about what I'm doing and, you know, datensparsamkeit and what, what I'm uploading and stuff like that. Um, so why would it be different with Apple? I have never understood this. Apple's just sexier than Microsoft and people dig it. Says most of them. Yeah, I, I understand that. That's why I have an iPhone, because it's a sexier device, right? But that doesn't mean I have, I'd have to trust them. <laughs> like, I don't that that leap. I think it's uh, it's 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 one of the problems. It's like this 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 group camp mentality that we've often spoken spoken about on the on the podcast as well. You know, like Team Red, Team Blue. It's the same. Like your 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 team PlayStation or your team Xbox. And then once you've bought into that ecosystem, you spend so much money to buy this device. You kind of defend it, right? And uh, even IT security people don't go like, Yeah, I, I know there's I know there's problems with this device but I like it better than the Android, right? They have to have this, they have to build this picture of themselves that they're always like, do the IT sec thing. And that's why they bought an iPhone. It's like buying a fancy sports car, you will defend that purchase. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I I I, I own a Moto right? I love that motorbike. I love that company. I love Moto Guzzi. I've, I've loved it ever since, like, my driving instructor had one. and um, But that doesn't mean, like, I've, I've ridden 77,000 77, kilometers on that bike. But that doesn't mean I don't tell people that there are shit, like, aspects of owning a Moto Guzzi, right? The fucking transmission falling apart after 60,000 kilometers was a, you know, it, it cost me like two and a half thousand euros to fix. That's, a, that's just incredibly shit. That shouldn't happen, right? Having, having a speedometer where like basically it rains and then the next day it's fucked up from the inside because it's a fucking Italian motorcycle and they didn't design it to withstand rain is shit. I still love that bike, right? But, like, when somebody asks me, that's a lovely bike, right? Should I buy a Moto Guzzi? I go, it's a lovely bike, You've got lots of emotions with it, but I tell them these things. Like, why wouldn't I? I always say, you know, Moto Guzzi slogan is basically, it's an Italian motorcycle, right? It is, uh, it is pure emotion. And I go, yeah, it is. Like, it's, riding that thing is lovely. It's pure emotion. But when your transmission falls apart after 60,000 kilometers – you fucking hate it, but guess what? Hate is also an emotion. <laughs> so yeah, it's. Um, I know, I know. It's. Uh, I'm. I'm probably not the rule. Many people are like this, but I think that's that's what it comes down to here. Um, which is just. Uh, this just, just. I mean, at at some point, it's just human, but still. Um. Yeah, I don't. I hope from now on when I say things like Apple's just another company, people will like I get it. I get it. Now I hope we all like in case, you probably listen to this and you're like, I why are you telling me this, Fab? I, I feel like you uh or whatever. But if you don't, uh, you know, contact email, please. Um but uh, private citizen, not press. But still, it's uh I I, I hope everybody learns something from it. Also, you know, you might be having this this discussion with people and I'm you know one of the reasons I'm doing this is I'm giving you ammunition you can use in that discussion. <laughs> anyway, uh, I've talked about the feedback. Let's get into the feedback. We had in uh, speaking about discussions, we had an interesting discussion happening in the Matrix room. So let's uh, about last about the previous episode, uh, episode eighty. So let's get into that. <laughs> seven says not everyone is honest about their decisions having downsides and they will buy into the propaganda from the company find that problem with people who buy and drive Toyota's. okay <laughs> uh i don't know yeah could be i don't uh i don't feel uh, i don't have much feelings about toyota's um my feelings about Audis. I think pretty much everybody who drives an Audi, Audi is a dickhead. Um, so probably lost some listeners right about now. But hey, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, some people, some people are like that. But I've, I've no really. I don't know. I don't. Is that like you? You're suffering because you bought one, and then you want to make other people suffer? Is that kind of the rule there? says, <laughs> "Ah, oh man, I drive an Audi." Just kidding. Actually. Uh, I know of at least one listener to the podcast who drives an Audi, possibly two, but uh, not to say that they're probably really nice Audi drivers. But like I, uh, when I'm out on the road, especially on a motorcycle, I uh, I must at least here in Germany, um, I feel the um, the the dickhead ratio uh, with Audi drivers is. A lot higher and actually i'm not the only one i went once was this on the grand tour i think clarkson said one said this on the grand tour uh he was like they were like testing an audi and he's like the problem is that all audi drivers are dickheads and then i think uh i think hammond said isn't that bmw drivers and then clarkson was like no 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 it used to be bmw like in the 80s and 90s now it's audi and i completely agree with him it used to be bmw now it's now it's all the auto drivers there are the problem they're worse than that. No, I'm just joking. Um, usually I find it, it is people who drive full size pickups that are not so Co- courteous. Co- courteous? Courteous? Um, that could be a local thing. Uh, downtown Düsseldorf, there's not many people driving full size. Usually I, I think they're cool. Like the only. Um, there, there are few, just digressing here, but I just think this is a, I guess a good discussion. Um, usually, um, like in the last few years, there's been a an uptick of Dodge, or I think they're not Dodge Rams anymore, right? The, the huge Ram pickups, Oh, in Australia we uh, call them a Ute. Um, and they're usually Harley-Davidson enthusiasts because they always have a Harley-Davidson sticker on the back. So I think they're buying the Rams because Harleys are notorious for breaking down. I don't think they're that bad anymore these days either. Like, Goodsies were notorious for breaking down as well. I have to say, this Goodsie is very reliable aside from, like, the transmission cropping out. But, like, they are not no screws flying off and shit like that. Like, back in the day. But, like, you know, to keep the... Uh, to keep the joke going they're all like fat boy old fat boy owners and they le- need like a vehicle that they just can like when they break down they just phone the wife and the wife takes the dodge ram down and they just put the harley in the back and then drive home. that's what that's what i picture whenever i see like a ram with a with a harley sticker um courteous courteous I, I think i spelled that wrong no i think you spelled that correctly anyway I was talking about the feedback. So in our matrix room, we had a little discussion. So uh, Evgeny Evgeny Kuznetsov um, says about episode eighty. F- okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this all out with like the replies from another listener and, and, and then the reply to the reply from Evgeny, and I'm gonna try to hold back and then I'm gonna say what I think about this. So, Evgeny says, uh, funny how you first mentioned in the episode proper that one of the issues with the internet is that country borders and jurisdictions don't necessarily apply. And then in the feedback part, explain how YouTube violated your rights as a German journalist and should be held liable by the German law. As much as I sympathize, Uh, With your case in this particular situation, I can't help thinking that I'm actually extremely glad YouTube doesn't always exactly follow the Russian regulations, the Chinese regulations, the Turkish regulations, etc. For me living in Russia, the fact that YouTube tends to ignore a big part of Russian authorities' demands, however perfectly legal those might be here in Moscow, is definitely a welcome thing. That comes at the cost of YouTube not giving a flying fuck about German regulations either, I guess. I mean, in Russia, saying that same sex marriage relationships are not entirely bad is usually considered by the courts to be, quote, gay propaganda, end quote, which is actually illegal and punished by law. Some goes for the recreational drug use, euthanasia, anti clericalism, etc., etc. Not even mentioning critics of the powers that be. Uh, by the Russian law, YouTube should be banning all of that. I'm glad it doesn't. By the Russian law, YouTube is absolutely not allowed to ban Russian officials, especially when they say things like, quote, gay people should get mental treatment or be better be executed on site, end quote. Yet that's exactly what YouTube does. I'd rather they did, because I think the stupidity and moronity of our public persons should be visible to anyone who cares to watch. But I see how it can be viewed as beneficial too. So then you say YouTube should do this and that and shouldn't do that or the other because Grundgesetz. My gut reaction is, fuck no, abiding by the local regulations is not a good idea. No, no, no. To which Georges, another producer uh, of the podcast, uh, replied... Interesting point of view. In Russia's case, though, I wouldn't be surprised if YouTube's policies on purpose more liberal in your country, as it helps maintain the narrative of the U.S. government that everything ruled by your president must be evil. So maybe they're just trying to influence the Russian people with YouTube's uh, YouTube's woke content, instead of being just as author- authoritarian as your government. Uh, to which Yevgeny then replied, could well be. Um In fact, that's what our authorities constantly say. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Actively promote pro-American and anti-Russian, well, anti-Putin, but Putin equals Russia, and there can be no Russia without Putin, or so our head of the parliament says, narrative. I find that entirely possible. In China's and Russia's cases, as opposed to Germany, admittedly, there are local alternatives. We have root (laughs) I actually we have we have root tube uh on on root tube uh we we listen we listen to hearts Hard base the whole time, man. Eh? Yeah. Goddamn Ruskies. <laughs> I have to check out Rootube. It's going to be hilarious. We have Rootube for videos and VK for Facebook. Those suck. Um, that's we contacted. Those suck and very few people will entirely use them. But hey, it's entirely possible for the Russian authorities to actively ban YouTube, Facebook, etc. Same way as Chinese the Chinese did years ago. Russia has successfully banned LinkedIn several years ago, so there's an example. Who needs Google when there's Yandex that doesn't sell your data, only gives it to the FSB for free? The problem is, this enforcement of the local jurisdiction does not, in my opinion, benefit end users in a way thinkable, nor does it benefit the internet as a whole or humankind as a species. Now, Yevgeny, I uh, appreciate that you wrote uh, in, and of course I always uh, welcome feedback, even if it's well, especially if it's critical of the show, I think these are um, valid points. I would say, from your point of view, <coughs> from your point of view in Russia, I completely understand them. I do think, um, uh, I do think you. Um, I, I I don't want to say made a mistake because it's not so much a mistake. But in my analysis, what you are basically doing is you're saying let me put this bluntly, the Russian laws are shit. So I'm happy Facebook doesn't enforce them. Right. And from your point of view, that is completely understandable, but you know, from a point of view of somebody who lives in a country where I think the laws are much more reasonable and in fact are important, you know, like our constitution's protections of journalists and what they have to say, I think, yes, they should be enforced. Um, I mean, of course, I think you misunderstood me because you say, uh, first, you first mentioned in the episode proper that one of the issues with the internet is that country borders and jurisdictions don't necessarily apply. Um, I was there talking about, you know, uh, cross border, uh, hacker attacks, you know, what people call cyber war. Um, I don't think jurisdictions don't apply, right? There have been successful cases where, uh, you know, criminals like carters and ransomware people uh, have uh, attacked businesses and, and people in Europe, in Germany, for example, and um, the German police has been able to uh, reach across borders and, you know, get, you know, for example, the Ukraine's uh, uh, police uh, and government's help and arrest people in the country and actually get them extradited um, or, you know, have them prosecuted there there. Um, yes, of course that doesn't really work so much with Russia, but you know that's I, I don't think like I don't think EU restrictions don't apply. and I think they should apply. Um, I think if you think the local Russian laws are shit, then the answer shouldn't be nobody, no internet company should enforce local laws. The answer should be: You need to do something to fix your laws. I understand that that is hard, and that you can't do that as a person. Um, and I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying, your, from, I think, from my point of view, your perspective on this is wrong. Um, you you have shitty laws, and and you basically probably came to the conclusion that there's no way you can change them, and you don't move from your country, which I can completely understand. Um, and I don't want you to, um, but like you then draw the conclusion that because of that, companies shouldn't enforce the laws they operate in. Yes, I, if Facebook, I don't care if they're a US company, they make money in Germany. They make money from German companies who give them money for advertising that they serve to Germans. And that means they should comply with German laws now I'm not saying anything like you know I mean we can't in Germany we can't just ban Facebook and I'm glad we can't right we have not built a a huge firewall around the country we we have not um, taken steps like the Russian government has to isolate um, you know internet connection crossover points into the country in such a way that presumably they could switch the internet off or they could filter it and they could you know Uh, just block requests to a company's service. We can't do that in Germany. And I'm happy we, you know, I don't want, when I'm saying, I want the government to enforce that our laws are being uh, upheld in the internet or in cyberspace (laughs) to take, you know, Biden uh, vocabulary. um, I don't, I don't mean let's block these companies. I'm saying, uh, you know, they have, They can be sued, right? They can be sued by the German government. They can be sued by, uh, and they have been sued by individuals, you know, Max Max Schrems. uh, You know, they have operations within the EU, right? We can reach them. Um, We could presumably, like, if we really wanted to hurt them, we could make it illegal for German companies to advertise on YouTube, I'm pretty sure that's something that they or within the EU, right? I mean, that's a pretty drastic step, but like, yes, I I think this constitutional protection is very important. That's not because I'm a journalist, um, and that's it's my job. It's it like that's in the interest of everybody in Germany because what that right guarantees is free reporting on things, and the ability to get that reporting out and to use a large public platform which youtube essentially is even though it's run by a company um to do so i think that is very important right and i think we can't just compromise on that because the local laws in china or in russia are crap i mean i'm i'm somebody who's a very global person i am i rejoice that i have listeners in russia and even listeners in china uh everywhere around the world i enjoy i enjoy that i i I like that people give me local feedback but that doesn't mean I want, you know, um I mean I can't do anything about your laws being shit. I don't want it, that to influence how Facebook is acting in Germany. Um even if we if we can just make it in Germany better, it's some it's better for some, right? It's not better for you guys in Russia or people in China, but it's it's better for some. And you guys need to uh have other ways to fucking tell your government that you don't want this shit. Um, I know that that is like really hard. (laughs) I mean, somebody who would like to tell his government that he thinks like the, all those COVID restrictions are idiotic and should be stopped immediately, which I can't because the democracy is just not set up in a way. And uh, certain parts of the, Uh, of the public and of the the establishment and of the media are just completely against that. And so you can't voice that opinion without being immediately sidelined. So I know how that is. I know that it must be the same way and much worse if you're trying to fight Putin in Russia. Right. But still also, I think it's incredibly unfair um, that YouTube because they're an American company. And I think nobody has has argued that they shouldn't be enforcing US law. Like, you know, the alternative would be that they're just enforcing US law all over the world. And like the alternative would be: okay, we don't care about jurisdictions where users come from. We just care about the country we're in. Right? And then you're enforcing US laws um everywhere. I mean, that that in itself is uh Not my idea of justice, but also uh, it will lead to a, you know, to basically uh, the version of offshore banking where uh, you have some little state where they basically have no uh, enforcement over digital stuff. And then every uh, company is just headquartered in Trinidad and Tobago and they can do whatever they want and Bob's your uncle. I don't want that. I've never been like. There's always been this discussion, like, oh, the internet is a wild west, and you know it should be. Free. I'm, I, I am, um, I'm at ad- an advocate of freedom, but not to the extent of like. I'm not a. I'm. I've, I'm never a, a purist or a fan, like a, a fanatic in any sense, right? I'm not a freedom fanatic. I understand that the need to be. Uh, rules and uh, and, and that, that that there need to be certain things that that need to be enforced and i actually think that enforcing some laws is better of every, for everybody's freedom and i for example in this very instance i think if you force youtube um, to have a certain degree of neutrality and not go arbitrarily because that's their politics, or we don't like this topic and we don't like that topic. That that is that is better for humanity, right? It's better for all of us. And I'm I'm just happy that uh, we have apparently, and I'm not the only one who thinks so. It's not like it's not like I'm complaining, <coughs> you know. That they, I mean, I am complaining, but that they took my video off YouTube. But that, but the larger point was that it's actually. Against the laws here, and as I said last episode, it seems like uh, courts uh, they tend to agree with that. Like at least that court in Cologne clearly said so. So I I just said that I just think that's important because I think that law is important. (coughs) But enough, um, (laughs) enough enough just like shouting at poor Yevgeny here would like once again, like to say that I'm incredibly happy that you uh, provided feedback and your standpoint and, um, allowed me to discuss this further. And I'm not like, you know, doing this to rag on you, but I think it's actually a very interesting discussion because I thought when you said that, you know, when you, when you said, okay, first you say this, and then you say that in the feedback section, um, I resolved to put that in the show and to talk about it because I think that other people might have come to the same conclusion. Right? They might have listened to the show and come to the same conclusion as you and said, well, this doesn't really make any sense. He doesn't want to be like they're like cross-border and like no really local jurisdiction and then now he wants to enforce the Grundgesetz. So uh, I also think, you know, that's a valid point bringing that up and, and I wanted to make my thoughts clear on that and I hope I... I hope I uh, at least, I don't know, succeeded a little bit. <laughs> so uh, thanks again uh, for writing in, Yevgeny. And also, you know, Georges, who, uh, you know, basically made this a discussion um, in our matric- matrix room. I uh, I enjoyed that a lot. Mode 7 seems to agree uh, and says, yes, uh, it is uh, great hearing his viewpoint, meaning Evgeny. And Jonathan is also there and says, yes, a very patriotic act. Yeah, the Patriot Act, for example, is a very American law that I don't want enforced in my jurisdiction. Because it's it's not something I agree with and I think most Germans wouldn't agree with. So we don't want that here. Keep that in your uh, patriotic country or whatever. Um, Yes, so um, something I have to mention now. This podcast uh, is brought to you by you, (laughs) people like you. Uh, Since, as I pointed out in the beginning, I'm not being paid by the NSO group not to report on um, Pegasus. That means you will get a Pegasus uh, show at some point, hopefully. Hopefully. Pat Riot Act, as RMS calls it. Oh, my God, that's such an RMS. Oh, my God, shitty puns. That is so RMS. Ah, So cringe. Anyway, yes, so uh, the people that make this possible uh, are the people like you. You know, you are listening. You can become a um, producer by sending me information, by sending me feedback, by, you know, explaining the situation in your country. Uh, by shouting at me and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong. Apple is actually the best company in the world and they're different. They're all uh, transcendent beings working there. Whatever, um, you, can, you, know, you you know, that, that makes you a producer and I uh, appreciate that. Um, that's what the value for value model is. You're all not listeners. You're pro- potentially also producers. But that also has the flip side that you're responsible for kind of keeping the show on the air so if you want that, you know, you can think about maybe, I don't know, I'm receiving this for free. Maybe it has some value. If you think it has, um, please go to the show notes, privatesitizen.press. There are many ways you can help out. You can pitch in, you can become a patron on Patreon, or you can, you know, use PayPal and uh, contribute via producers at industries. That's the email address, producers at fab.industries. Or you could become a Twitch subscriber. I mean, you can, you can watch the show when I record it live on Twitch anyway. Uh, you can be in chat. You can hang out. But if you're a subscriber, you're also helping out the show. And uh, this is the point where I think everybody's done that. So first of all, uh, all the people who pitched in via Patreon and PayPal, those people are Georges who was uh, active in that discussion earlier. Georges, Steve Hose, Butterbeans, Jonathan M. Hattie, who's in Twitch chat, <laughs> Michael Jensen, Dave1i11g, uh, Michael Small, Jackie Plage, Philip Klostermann, Vlad, Jaroslav Lichtblau, IKN, Kai Sears, Bennett Piata, Fadi Mansour, Joe Poser, Dirk Didi, tu- Tobias Mode7, who's also in Twitch chat, David Potter, Sandman616, Mika Martin, the Insane. The Rodane the Insane, Ru, Rodane the Insane, Rizal, Avis, Mr. A, Amish, Dave Amrish, Drive Zero, Ricky M, Barry Williams, Jonathan Edwards, Cam, Philip, Captain Akat, RJ Tracy, D, Rick Bragg, Robert Forster, SuperUser, and No Reply. And the people who have subscribed on Twitch and helped out the show in this way, are Mike the Dane, Flash Gordo, Sandman 616, Mod 7's unavailable, Epochski, El Terrestris Jim, it's also in Twitch chat, right now, RedeemerF, F, Gal Bacon the Pork, and Jonathan MH, underscore com. Thanks to all of you, and also thanks to BindMark, who are a UK hosting company, that are providing the servers, that I uh, host the audio files on, and the bandwidth. And I couldn't do the show without them because if I paid for that, I'd be broke. So thanks to ByteMark at uh, bitemark.co.uk. And, and that's it for now, for today, for this show. I'll be back next week. If I don't have any vaccine side effects and I can manage, I might try to get another show out on Wednesday. But that's not a promise at this point. Let's leave it at that and we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, I would like to credit uh, Raul Cabezali, who came up with the, um, you know, uh, wrote and recorded the uh, theme song of this podcast called uh, Acoustic Roots. And then I'm going to play you out with a song uh, from Velvet Head featuring Easton. That's called uh, Why Don't We Feel It? And let's, let's hope that's going to be the theme, theme tune to my vaccination. <laughs> and I won't feel anything. Until then, you know, I don't know. Try to think for yourself once in a while. Um, and then you'll, you'll be 10 years ahead of the curve and all the IT security professionals. How about that? See you soon. Have a good one.